and welcome to the Creative Soul Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Van Doren, and in this podcast, I talk with some of the most creative and inspiring people that I know. From hearing about their process to what holds them back from creating, routines and rituals, to the intersection between creativity and spirituality, you'll hear from writers, actors, singers, dancers, musicians, painters, multi-passionate creatives, and anyone else who considers themselves a creative soul. Welcome back to the Creative Soul Podcast. My guest this week is Sean Leischer. Sean is a Philadelphia-based dramaturg and producer and recently started a new coaching business doing monologue coaching for actors. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you and I thought it was appropriate to release it this week because this conversation is all about theater. For those of you who don't know, I've been in theater my entire life. I studied musical theater in college and theater has just been part of my world and my life for the past 23 years. So yes, this if, if you're not in theater, you might learn something new today. And if you are in theater, I think you'll probably love this episode because we go into a lot of the issues that face theater today. And in this moment that we're in, in our history, you know, how does theater play a role? And how is theater contributing to the problems that we see present in our world today? So this conversation is just really fun. And you know, I was thinking about this week and how exactly a year ago Broadway shut down, you know, when we were at the beginning of the pandemic and no one really knew what was going on. I remember I was working in New York City at the Public Theater. It's a big nonprofit theater. And I got a call from the meditation studio that I worked at and I had a shift later that evening and they were like, hey, we're canceling classes. Like, classes aren't filling up because of this like coronavirus thing that's happening so you don't have to come in tonight and I was like oh my gosh I have a night off I'm gonna go see a Broadway show and I was like I really want to see West Side Story it's the new version of West Side Story that opened last year and so I'm like on the website I'm about to buy tickets and I text my friend and I'm like hey do you want to go to West Side Story tonight and she's like dude Broadway shut down and I'm like what And I Google and they had just announced that Broadway was shutting down and the theater that I work at because they're in the similar vein of Broadway, like they kind of would follow the same suit that Broadway would would do. And so they decided to close down for a month. You know, we all know it was a month at the time and that quickly or not so quickly turned into a year. And now it is one year later and theater is still not back. Broadway is still not open. The industry is still completely shut down. We also talk about dramaturgy and what a dramaturg is because most people maybe even in the theater don't even know what that is. And we talk about the role of the dramaturg and playwrights and there's just a lot of very valuable information about the industry and Sean like I mentioned has a new monologue coaching business for actors where he will have a coaching call with you and send you new audition material so if you're an actor looking for audition pieces Sean is your go-to monologue resource and we wanted to give you a little taste of what it would be like to work with him so he actually interviews me and asks me some questions so you get to hear more about myself as a theater artist which is kind of fun. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Here is Sean Leischer. So the first question I ask everyone is what is currently fueling your creative soul? That is a good question. What is currently fueling my creative soul? 
is the way that artists have been able to utilize the internet and these these screens that we're talking to each other on to 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 keep the communal audience experience going. As a theater artist, I, I obviously very much miss being in the same theater with people and experiencing what we're seeing on stage together and having our hearts sync up and our breaths, our, our collective gasps and our collective sighs and sobs, depending on what we're watching. And I am going to be so excited when that comes back. And I think at the beginning of this pandemic, we were very much just like, what are we going to do? It's not going to be that long. So let's just, let's just have something to fill the time. So let's read Shakespeare or let's, let's do this or let's, let's, I, I don't know. But I think now we're just kind of like, especially theater artists, but also musicians, spoken word poets, stand-up comedians are really experimenting with how do we keep the, the spirit of being in the same audience together, even though we're all from all around the world in our different homes and yeah. Yeah, I love what you said too about like the power of live theater and how our heartbeats really do synchronize and thinking about like how we're so isolated in our homes and how do we then connect on screen. And so I'm wondering what are the kind of things that you've seen that are innovative or exciting or experimentative like what kind of things have given you that same feeling? Actually, so I just saw something a few weeks ago for the first time that, and I ended up watching it twice, where it's called Delejos. It's a, it's a solo theater piece by Julie Pinheiro. And it's just, it's a, it's a solo show that blends comedy, music, guided meditation. I think that what's so magical about the piece too is that Julie is not a trained theater person. Mm. So she doesn't come in with all the baggage of like, what is it? Like, we have to make this, we have to make this a, a theater. Like we, we, we need to make this. We, yeah, it's, 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 it's theater in the way that it's very much theater inspired by like, like the stuff that Mike Birbiglia does or even like Hannah Gadsby, which is like that, that blend of like that, that towing the line between stand-up and theater that I'm very, very interested in. But I mean, I don't want to say too much about this piece. I think you should go into it knowing as little as possible. But yeah, Delejos, or in parentheses from afar, if you follow me on Instagram, you've seen me raving about this piece. But yeah, it's, it's, you just hop on a Zoom call and you, you don't have to, but the creator recommends that you keep your Zoom cameras on and just uh, guide you through this this story that she wants to tell you and it's it's such a moving ritualistic communal piece of theater that i and and that i can't wait to see live but i'm so glad that it exists now and people can watch it from the comfort of their homes totally yeah that's definitely something i would love to check out and it's it this time has given us a new genre of theater digital theater and i think when digital theater is done. Which I just heard that they're calling it transmedia now. Oh, interesting. I haven't heard that. Yeah. Transmedia. Well, transmedia digital theater, it's in like it's so interesting to see what emerges because you could do the classic like reading on a Zoom screen, which I've seen and those just don't interest me. But mm-hmm. they're and for most of this pandemic, I haven't been attending any theater events because I just I again it's that live experience. It's that being mm-hmm. in the room with other people. So I haven't really been interested in seeing anything, but I did see something actually at, it was part of Under the Radar Festival with the public theater. 
And it was this piece that was like half told you, you like log into a screen. It's kind of like YouTube live as if you're watching it live. And then they direct you to go on Instagram. So you like at the beginning of the show, you follow an account on Instagram and then they like tell the story through the Instagram feed and they go live on Instagram and you're like switching back and forth between your laptop screen, your Instagram on your phone, which I was like, that is a way to do digital theater because when I'm sitting in bed home alone, I'm like watching a play online. I, I admit it's hard to not pick up my phone throughout it. So like the fact that they made that part of it and made it so interactive, I was so engrossed like the entire time. And it was just, it was such a cool way to do it. So I think it is really cool. Like the different ways that people are finding to expand and to kind of use what we do have all the time with us instead of pretend that it's not there because we're not in a room with our phones off and we're there watching what's on stage. We're like, you know, distractions, partners around, you know, all my shit around, like using that is really interesting. Yeah. And it's, I'm really enjoying this like lack of like decorum Mm. that, that we're having right now where like, I I like being able to like watch theater with no pants on (laughs) and, and, or like, if I have to go to the bathroom, I can take the show with me. And like, I, I just remember telling a friend, I was like, I'm going to miss that when it comes back. <laughs> because it's just like, it's not even just like, oh, I'm expecting, oh, like, oh, yes, actors come to the bathroom with me. But it's like, when you're in the theater, like, you're afraid to be a human. Mm-hmm. Like, you're afraid to have to go to the bathroom because what if, I mean, like, and I, I don't want to speak for everyone, but like, I'm very much just like, I will hold it just to keep everyone else's comfort or you're afraid to cough or sneeze afraid to cough afraid to sneeze yeah or like or like glance on the yeah glance on your phone and everything yeah I'm very much I'm very much in the belief that if you're noticing your audiences are on their phones during your show that means what you're doing on stage needs to be better Mm. You need to be catching. And people disagree with me. People say like, well, people are just going to, even if it's the greatest show ever, people are going to be on their phone. I'm like, I don't know. When I see stuff like that, when I'm directing stuff uh, or like when I used to direct stuff and I would see somebody on their phone in the audience, I'm like, okay, what's happening on that stage? That's not keeping people's attention. Yeah, that's a really good point. And also it makes me kind of almost sad because I think the magic of the theater is that like, you're all experiencing this together and you can't check your phone. And it's probably the, the two hours of your day that you haven't checked your phone. So now that the mediums are kind of blending, I wonder what mm-hmm. that will look like. But I'm super curious because you're a dramaturg and I feel like I maybe some people on this podcast might not know what that is. I feel like I didn't even know what a dramaturg was or did until like later in college and theater school. And so will you give us a little overview of how you got into dramaturgy, what it is and why you're passionate about it? Well, can I first ask you, I always like asking people that. That's a great question. So I think now my definition of dramaturgy would be some, someone like, I think I would describe it as like the story architect. So like someone mm-hmm. where a playwright would write a play and then the dramaturg would like research the facts, research the time period, kind of really give you the historical and societal context that the play is set in and make sure that everything makes sense. I think that's mm-hmm. what I assume a dramaturg would do. But I like the idea of like res- like someone who's doing the in-depth research and someone who's mm-hmm. asking the right questions so that the playwright can then respond to that. Right. I love that so much. And I've actually gotten to do like, I've gotten to dramaturg plays 
that are both set in a historical time period. So my job is just to be a resource to the actors, basically be like the definition guy, especially when you're like working, like I recently had an opportunity to dramaturg a Shakespeare piece and I'm just like going through the reading and like we did it over Zoom and like I kind of just sat in on the Zoom reading whenever somebody like had like, hey, what does this mean? They just dropped in the chat. So I'm like off to Google to like find mm-hmm. out what all that means. But then I've also done new play development dramaturgy which is all about just like asking the playwrights the the questions that will help them get the play in the shape that it needs to be mm-hmm. basically helping them consider every single option and consider every single choice that they're making and figuring out whether it's in the best service of the story they're trying to tell mm. yeah and how i got into dramaturgy Because, I mean, first of all, I studied film in college, so I really didn't think theater was going to be for me because I kind of grew up thinking only that theater was musical theater, singing, dancing, acting. And I'm like, that's not really what I do. So so I went to to film school because I was interested in maybe like screenwriting and uh, I liked editing a little bit too. I liked the idea of directing. I think I went to a small film school where I feel like if I went to a bigger one where I could have like focused on screenwriting, I probably would still be a screenwriter today. But Mm -hmm. since they kind of like make you do all the other things, I just hated being on a film set. It was just so Mm -hmm. boring. But my first my first job in the theater was actually directing middle school musicals at my old middle school. So I did I did a bunch of musicals there just because I liked I liked doing theater. And I think where I fell into dramaturgy was I always I always loved process over product. But working for a school, they really do want the product. They really do want, they, the, ad, the administrators want something that they can post on the website. The parents want something for, to, to clap about and, and, and to see their kids in and be proud of and everything. And I get that. And the kids, and the kids also, like, they want to have something to show their peers and, and their family. And I totally, totally get that. But it was just a lot of like running the same number. There is at the very beginning, a lot of play, I think, and a lot of figuring it out. And like, I would do really fun exercises with my students where like, we would like write journal entries from the perspective of our characters. But once it gets to crunch time, that's when we got to do the numbers over and over and over again. And we need to get everything perfect. And that's when I, that's, that's honestly like when I check out. I was really lucky to have a great team around me. And obviously like, I didn't like check out being like, I like phoned it in, but like, that's just not where I was in my happy place. Yeah. You bring up a really good point about like focusing on process versus product and how do you both have the process of it, but then knowing that you like, it is such an interesting thing with theater that I hadn't really thought about before that like you you are producing a product you're not figuring it out you're not fi- like in there are things within that that you're figuring yeah. out but like I've been part of shows where usually typically the rehearsal period is two weeks so there's not a lot of time for play and discovery because you kind of have to get the thing up on its feet and make sure that it's audience ready and so that is really interesting and I wonder maybe if there's ways that like theater I feel like in, I feel like that's maybe why you're drawn to new work development mm-hmm. because or new play development because there is so much more of that discovery and play process so will you talk yeah. about new plays and why you love working with new plays well and that's and that brings up a really great point because I mean basically why I got into dramaturgy is because I was just really burned out from from directing mm. at the and also I was getting very interested in in more experimental work and uh, just work that 
tackles heavier issues. And I mean, you can't really do that with, with middle schoolers. So, and also, I mean, I was also going through like a mental health crisis uh, at the time. And I had to like, kind of like had to bow out because I was working at the middle school while also working a 40 hour a week job, because I mean, unfortunately, after school theater programs are not the money makers. (laughs) You would think you would think. And, but what got me into the dramaturg, because I was, I mean, once I kind of like got my health under control, really, really started taking care of my mental health. And the plan was for me to go back. I took a year off from the middle school and the plan was for me to go back, but I didn't end up going back just because I really, really wanted to explore this world of new play development. And I realized like it was a place where I could literally be in the rehearsal room all the time. And -hmm. that's where I wanted to be. I loved it. I stole this. I stole this idea from my friend, Rachel Camp, who is a brilliant musical theater actor, producer, just all around uh, a community organizer here in Philly. And they, they had this idea of they're a new work doula. And that's like a, that's like a term that I adopted for myself too. I was like, I'm a new play doula because oh. I love the idea of like, I get, I get, I get, I, I like to get the plays where they're just like, just in the very beginning of their gestating period. Mm. And I want to help them along. I want and especially like help the parent, which is the playwright, help them keep growing it and bring, and, and bring, and, and keep developing it and guide them towards choices that are the play's best benefit for growth and I mean if you and if you ask a lot of people who have experienced pregnancy they'll tell you that you're it's it's yes we have all the books out there and everything and yes we have doctor's advice but still a lot of it is like trial and error and like trying to make sure like how both you feel good through the process and also you're doing what you're doing what's best for the child but then I love when I so basically in my mind the ending of my process as the doula the the birth part is when the play is ready to be staged. Mm. And I love that because then I get to hand it off. Basically, like the doula's job is done when the baby's out. Um, which I don't know. I don't know. Is that kind of, is that kind of like do doulas hang around a lot? Actually, wait, that's so funny. First of all, I love this yeah. metaphor because I yeah. very much think the creative process and the birthing process like those processes are kind of the same and so I love the term new play doula it's funny because my sister just had a baby and she is a doula and I think there are doulas that work with you like pre pre pre-baby during baby and after baby so there's like postpartum Mm. care so my my sister's doula right now like comes over once a week and cooks her nourishing meals but I can totally Mm. see how that could relate to your job as well of like checking in and you know but for the most most part when yes checking in nourishing the artists recommending them for different developmental opportunities totally stuff like that but for the most part when the play is ready to be staged i kind of like be i kind of like wash my hands and just be like you know i've done all i've given you all i can now it's totally. on to the next step and like i always like the end of mary poppins because and i always like think of this too i'm like it's i have to go off to another family now totally <laughs> and, which is similar yeah. to the director's role too i mean once yes. they put it up they they kind of leave and let the stage manager take over but i'm curious yes. you know for a playwright because i feel like you know people either do it professionally or everyone like you know maybe they start writing a play and just kind of coming through them at what point 
do they know or how would they even find a dramaturg to work with? Because I feel like for some playwrights, they don't even know that it's a possibility or an option for them. And I think especially yeah. for emerging playwrights, someone that is just kind of getting into the craft of it, like how would how would they know when's the best time to seek support and, and ask for that play doula to help them during their process? Well, it, it, you're right. It comes down to, it's, it's an education thing and it's an access thing. If you're not, if you're not taught that's an option from the start, like how are you going to find out? And to be honest with you, I want to say playwrights, playwrights are understandably nervous. I mean, I've met some, I've met some who are very, very like gung ho about having a dramaturg right from the beginning. But understandably, playwrights have been have been hurt through the critique and feedback process. I don't think a lot of college programs out there know how to run the best the best rooms for feedback. And of course, depending on the identity of of the writer and uh, the identity of the folks in the cohort, like like if it's a black writer in a college program with mostly white with white professors and white students, they would understandably be more reticent about having someone say like, hey, do you want me to come and help you give feedback on your play? Because like, they've been like, no, I've dealt with that for four years of people who don't understand my work, Mm. giving their feedback on my work. So it's, and even like the playwrights that I work with normally, like, like I am, I see, I see the play at different phases. Some will, some will like say like, Hey, I only have 20 pages. I want you to read it. Some will say, you know, I'd rather wait until I have a draft as someone who's done screenwriting and like been through that workshop process. And like, I've dealt with a lot of people who like give feedback and, and like you and tell, like, they just want to hear themselves talk. Like they're not really there to help you or guide you. I, I really try and be sensitive to where the playwright's at with the piece. When it comes to, I'll, I'll give you and your listeners in on a secret to my to my process as a dramaturg. When it's a first draft, I will only give feedback on what is working for me in the draft. I will not ask tons of questions. I will only focus on what's working because I think for a first draft, that's what is most important. Mm. The playwright needs to know that they're going in a right direction. The first draft is not supposed to be perfect. It's not supposed to be this immaculate piece of, it's, it's supposed to be like, let's just throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. And I want to focus on the things that stick. So hopefully the things that's not sticking will either fall away organically or they will evolve yeah. in different ways. Because I think, I feel like if, if, if a first draft gets torn apart, even from someone who like thinks that they're well-intentioned and just being like, well, I just want to, I just want to tell them the honest truth. I'm like, what you're doing is, is you're risking a writer who really needs to be supported. Like they could, like we could lose on I, how many great writers have we lost because the, the first time they showed a part of themselves and a part and, and their work, they're just torn apart by people who think that they're doing them a favor by telling them the truth where I'm like, and I'm not saying like, I know, I know some people are going to like, are going to hear this and be like, well, Sean, you just coddle playwrights. It's just like, you don't need me to pick apart your play in the first draft. You need to be reinforced that you're going in the right direction. Totally. And I mean, again, it's like brings it back to that metaphor of the doula where you are supporting yeah. the person going through the birthing process and you're nourishing mm-hmm. them. You're, you're like being that hand to fall on and 
it's about support yeah. and care and nourishment. And so I think the role of the dramaturg is so beautiful and unique, just knowing that we don't have to go through the creative process alone. And, and it is so hard and scary to write a play or, or write anything, whatever it mm -hmm. is you're working on. And just, ha just to have someone whose role is to support you and to be there for you, that I think can make the world of a difference. And I love what you said about thinking about how many writers we've lost and how many people you know, have had their creative dreams squashed by maybe a comment someone said. And so remembering that that support mm -hmm. can make the world of a difference. And so I know you are working on a new venture doing monologue yes. for actors. So will you talk a little bit about that? Right. So being a dramaturg, I, I, I need to read lots of new plays. I need <laughs> to be in touch with who's going to be writing new canon of work out there. And I'm, I mean, the canon, I, I, I hate to like use the idea of the canon because like, I just think we need to burn the whole idea of the canon. I'm yes. very happy of just having people just write plays and people just put on plays and <laughs> Philadelphia should just put on plays that Philadelphia people want to want to watch, mm -hmm. not just what people think that they should be watching. I feel like we've become even like from all over the world, it's, it's very much just like, what's New York doing? What's, 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 yeah. what's being produced on Broadway? That's what we got to do. And like, and I'm not, and like, not to say like they're bad plays. Like, I mean, I love like, I love A Doll's House Part Two. I think it's a really well-written play, but like, is that the play that rural Indiana needs to see? Thank you for saying that. I think that's such yeah. a beautiful point and mm -hmm. something that I hope as we're like shifting from old systems into new systems, that that is something that's more talked about because it, it's not New York or bust, you know, it's like people in different areas have different needs. And if we can speak to those people directly, we might be able to change a lot more than like shoveling down another doll's house part two down their throats. Yeah. And that's, it's, I, it's also why I believe that every regional theater should have a, a, a playwright group from that community, mm. like a group of writers, like a cohort of writers from that community, or even like, I mean, I'm also all down for like, bringing in writers from outside like because i mean if you can't find writers in your area they need to and because and honestly i'm not saying that's because the writers don't exist there i think it's because that in certain parts of the country there's playwrights out there who haven't been told yet that they can be playwrights so you need so maybe you need to commission a a, a fancy playwright to come into your town and both like i look at something like sweat which i'm a huge fan of that play and i've actually gotten to see it produced in Reading, Pennsylvania in a reading and I got to be a part of an art installation piece. So Sweat, the play by Lynn Nottage was Lynn Nottage went and spent two years in Reading, Pennsylvania, kind of like looking, trying to figure out like what happened to this city that was like this, like, like Reading, Pennsylvania, like, like the Reading Railroad was a square on Monopoly and like, why has it become such a depressed city right now? Mm -hmm. But I'm so like, that's a play that I think needs to be performed all over the country. Specifically, even like, even though, yes, there's, there are very things very specific to Reading. But I think what that play will inspire is people being like, oh, well, what's my town story? People's Light Theater Company, right outside of Philly, they, they did a, like an artist residency. I think they worked with like Dominique Morisot, Coleman Domingo, a couple other really great playwrights. To, and basically said like, you know what? Go out to the suburbs of Philly and write a story for that community, write a play for that community. And I love that. And I'm like, and I think the, I think the hope behind it is like, to inspire the folks there to be telling their own stories then. Yeah, that's so important. And so it, it kind of like re-energizes me into thinking what theater is for and in like investigating, mm -hmm. 
your story and reflecting the values of your community or trying yeah. to teach or show or highlight something that's going on specifically mm -hmm. in your community. I think when we focus too much on like what's going on on society at large, it becomes too big that we then mm -hmm. maybe sometimes can't directly connect. And so I think thinking more about regional theater and how we can I mean, I think it'd be so much more powerful if I was learning about the people that live around me and the, mm -hmm. the things that plague them or the things that are unjust here in our community. And it's like, as we're in a very like political moment in our history and thinking about how do we change these old systems? I think we, we, we tend to think big, like how can we change the government when really the questions we should be asking is how can we help our communities? What's going on in our community now? And I, I'm hoping that's something that will come out of the pandemic. And it comes down to valuing art for its way, its impact to heal communities, mm. where when we're looking at it as Broadway or New York or bus, we're looking at theater as strictly as economic impact, where yeah. like Broadway has a huge economic impact on the city and the state of New York. Totally. And then in many ways, the work that's being produced on Broadway then goes to the regions, which then affects those economies. So it's like looking at that, but we need to like also just realize like, oh, art really has a lot of healing and benefits in non-monetary ways. Yeah. Again, kind of the process over product, like we were saying, yeah. decommercializing theater and remembering like right. why we do theater. What is the soul of theater? That's beautiful. Right. And it's, it's, I mean, and then, and it goes back to the whole like, is it is it even possible to think of it this way? Because theater operates in a capitalist society, right? Yeah. So like, like while capitalism is still thriving, can we expect theater to not conform to that? Yeah, that's a really good point. I don't know. I don't know the answers, yeah. but I think these are the questions that people should be thinking about, and I do have hope that because of the state that we're in that things will continue to progress and get better mm -hmm. so that's one way that like hopefully we can tear that down and so yes. bringing it back to your bring it back to the monologue <laughs> business yes so yeah i read a lot of plays i'm very up up in the know about the trends of and just the type of work that's being written out there i'm a very huge fan of a new play exchange and mm -hmm. i really want everyone to be on there and so, yeah, basically this business I have, I do a, a 30 minute consult call with an actor and we just kind of like, we talk about both where they've been as an actor, where they're currently at in theater, but more specifically, I want to know where, because I, I really feel like we're in a time where actors are really starting to consider like, when we get back, do I want to be doing the same work I have before? Mm. Is that's what, if, if, like, if I'm going to stick in this business that basically in this pandemic took a huge shit on me because I mean, just like, I'm just seeing how, how hard it is for my actor friends to, to get unemployment if they are even eligible and just like any kind of, any kind of support at all. And just like, I'm seeing a lot of actor friends that are just like, you know, this is kind of making me realize that maybe, maybe I, maybe it's time to go to law school or maybe it's time to pursue something more stable, but I think it's a time for those who, when it, when everything is said and done and we can go back, they're just like, because this, this is not going to be the only pandemic. There's there's going to be, there's we're, we're in for tough times. And that's not me being like a alertist or a, or a doomsday person. It's just, I just think it's reality. This pandemic has just shown us how unprepared we are at taking care of our people when something like this happens. So I really want 
I really think that this is the time where actors who are like, yeah, when this is all over and at the end of the day, this is still, this still uncertain pathway and the career path is what I want to do. I think they're sitting back and being like, so how do I make sure I'm doing the work that is worth it for me? So a big thing that we talk about is like what the work they want to work on that they haven't really done Mm -hmm. before. I tell people that like, I'm not here to find you. I'm not here to make recommendations to you for stuff that you've already gone in for a million times. I want to know what do you want to challenge yourself with? Yeah. And so we have that call and I ask them to give me a week and I make recommendations of stuff that they should be in the know about and we're working on. And uh, like I said, I find them all on new play exchange and I, I tell my clients to go on new play exchange because the point of it then is to like, be like, Oh, I really like this. I really like the way this person writes. So Mm. what else are they writing? I love, first of all, I think this is such a beautiful, valuable resource for actors because I know in college and after college, I think finding work that speaks to you is such a process. And when you're only introduced to kind of like the classic plays. But then when you want to diversify your book and you want to really have pieces that speak to the soul of who you are, it's really hard to find that and takes a yeah. lot of time and research to, to do that. And not mm-hmm. all actors love reading plays. Yeah, and even with like, I mean, like I said, I love New Play Exchange, but like New Play Exchange can be daunting when you're first going on there. Because there's thousands of plays and it's just, it's basically just like, I mean, to use like a fishing metaphor, it's introducing someone to a pond filled with thousands of trout but if you don't teach them how to fish, what are they going to do with it? So basically what I'm trying to do is like guide. And like I said, hopefully like if they're obsessive like me, like they'll want to read everything by this writer and be like, oh, but then this writer is in a writer's group with this other writer. What is this writer doing? Mm-hmm. And like, oh, this writer has been produced at this theater. Well, what's this theater doing? And like, yeah. yeah. And how, yeah, it's so interesting too what you said, like about the pandemic and kind of realigning or re-figuring out like, what do you want? What do you want to be working on? And yeah, what, yeah. and I think that's something that's beautiful that's come out of it is that people have really been given the chance to figure that out. And like, mm-hmm. you know, the old material that you might have been doing maybe doesn't speak to you. And, and I know for me, figuring out what kind of theater I loved and what kind of theater like got me excited changed everything because I no longer was like looking at what other people were doing or what I thought was like, you know, the main path to successful musical theater. But when I got really clear on what kind of work I loved, everything else became so clear. So instead, like if you're an actor and you're auditioning for a bunch of things, you don't want to audition for every single thing. You want to get really clear and specific about what you like so that you can go out for those things so that you're not wasting your time being seen or not being seen at all these other things when maybe you're not right for it in the first place because your soul wasn't directly aligned with that work. So I really am a big believer in like, the first step is knowing what kind of work you like. So reading plays and figuring out what like lights you up and Mm -hmm. then, you know, going out for things like that. So that is such a cool resource. I love that you said that. And I'm actually going to shout out one of my first, one of my very first clients. Her name is Brooke Harsh, a really, really talented actor from the Sales University here in, here in Pennsylvania. They host um, the Pennsylvania Shakespeare Festival. And I've, I've actually gotten to work with a lot of the sales students. And what's been so wonderful is like, yeah, they're coming, a lot of them are coming out as like blank slates when it comes to new work, because like, yeah, I mean, being the home of Pennsylvania Shakespeare Festival, like you do a lot of the Greeks, you do a lot of Moliere, you do a lot of Chekhov, you do a lot of Shakespeare and nothing, nothing wrong with those pieces. But it's just like a lot of them are coming out being like, 
I need contemporary stuff too. Mm, Who's writing new plays. But yeah, but Brooke has like on, on the about page on her website, I love this one line she says where she's like, I'm going to paraphrase it, but it's like, she's like, I want to be a voice in the next Nancy Drew computer game. Oh, and I I'm like, that. I love, I'm like, and I'm just, and I posted on my Instagram, I'm like, actors, get this specific, please. Because I think, I think people who hire you will also be like, oh, this person really knows what they want to do. And yes, I'm not saying that there aren't egomaniac directors that just want little puppets who will do whatever. And I, I really, I really hope that generation's dying off and that they're, they're on their way out. But I, the directors that I admire and that I, I like working with, they're ones that really want actors to come in who know who they are and who know their craft and who will come in with their own ideas and who will come in as themselves. So when you get really specific about what you want, no matter how impossible you think it is or how like out there you think it is, like you might not exactly get that, but somebody's gonna be like, somebody's gonna look at Brooks about page like, well, I'm not gonna make a Nancy Drew computer game, but I like Nancy Drew stories. So she would be perfect for this, this new mystery yeah. tonight. Or like, yeah, it, it, yeah, it helps like you that. Yeah. do the work for them because when you're when you're being yeah. generous and and telling people straight up what you want to do, it makes everyone else's mm-hmm. jobs, the casting director, yeah. the directors, their jobs so much more easier because they can then yeah. see, oh great, I have this, this, and this. So that is a beautiful mm-hmm. lesson on like keeping things specific. Balea, I'd really be interested in like doing like a little condensed consult call with you. Yes, I would love that. And then we can give the listeners kind of like a little taste on what a session would be like if they want to work with you. Yeah. So I usually like to start every one of my calls and just say like, Leia, this could be your craft in particular or the community at large, but I want to know today, how are you feeling about acting? Oh, wow. What a loaded question. I've been on such a journey with acting the past like three years, maybe three, four years. And so I don't need to tell you the whole backstory, but where am I at today? I think acting is a beautiful way to be a vehicle in which you can tell someone else's story. You can be a voice for the voiceless. You can use your vessel, your body, your voice, your physical self, and be able to inhabit a character and inhabiting a character, you find that character within yourself. So you're like discovering these new parts of yourself and exposing that on the stage in order to share that with other people so that they can recognize that part of themselves in you so that you can be that mirror. So I think acting is really about being that mirror for humanity. And have you, have you worked on acting at all during the pandemic? No, not at all. I've done a lot of my original work. I've been working on my one woman show and like Mm -hmm. telling my story, but I haven't worked on like character work in a while. Mm. And I usually, I ask that question, not from like, not coming from a place of like, you should be, because like, honestly, like we're in a, we're in a pandemic, you should just be surviving. But I kind of like to get to know, like, if they were taking classes, if they were playing around with Zoom theater, a lot of them are just like, oh, I'm, I'm writing stuff. And I'm like, oh my gosh, yay. That's so exciting. Mm-hmm. Cause then I'm like, can I read your plays? I'm like, yeah. So I kind of just like want to get to know like how fresh their acting muscles are. Yeah. That's a great um, question. And it also like makes me like, no, like if it's been a while for them, I probably won't go in with like the heaviest, most complicated, like I'll kind of like, I'll find like pieces that like more like ease them in, ease them back into 
working out these acting muscles. But the next question I asked then is, Leia, tell me what excites you as both an audience member and an actor in theater. Like, like um, when you see it on the page or you're watching it in the audience, you're just like, you're just like, yeah. Like give, like throw out some words, some descriptors of like, this is the kind of stuff that like gets me going. I love this question. I, what gets me going is like, just I, like what first come to mind is like people being really real. And like, I love like real people's stories. And so honestly, I love the work of Becca Brunstetter and Claire Barron. Well, I like Dance Nation. She has another one called You Got Older. And like, yeah, her, her style where she kind of mixes like poetry and like lists, but when you read it, it's super quick, super fast. And it's just so modern and like, so her soul. And so when reading plays like that, like, or being in plays like that, that just like, I don't know, there's something about it that like, I can't even describe it because it's just a feeling that just is like, I want to work on that. Like things that are fun and kind of weird and feel natural and feel real and feel like, I don't know the, like, I love slice of life stuff, but done in Mm -hmm. kind of like a magical experiential way, if that makes sense. No, totally makes sense. And then the next, the next part I usually talk to the actors is about, so I tell them flat out, I think typing is bullshit. And I really want to work with them on stuff that takes them out of what they're usually typed as, but I want to know what I'm working against. Mm. So I ask, what have you been typed as? I love this question too. I think that's really important to, again, counteract typing culture and also know what you're working with. So what I've been typed as, a mentor once told me that I am the hooker with a heart of gold. I've also been told that I'm like the young, fresh face. I could play a Midwesterner. I could also play like the, the, like the sweet, again, like the sweet whore, which Mm -hmm. the best friend type, the like comedic type, because my body looks a certain way. I've always been typed as like, oh, you could be the supporting character role, which I also think is some bullshit. And then, oh, someone, someone, oh, I've also been told that like, some I'm someone with a secret like someone that mm. could, like the best like the or like the gossip I've also been like typed as like oh you could be like I've been cheerleaders and like some stuff mm-hmm. which is not me at all but it's kind of like the energy that I can bring into a room so definitely get stereotyped as that sometimes okay and when you're in those spaces where you're being typed mm. like what are the characteristics that you're like really trying hard to like use your brain power to be like, but see this too. Please be seeing this about me. Ooh, also a great question. I think that I really connect and like can tune in really deeply with the sensitive and vulnerable side of a character. Like I really tap into that truth. And so if I'm typed as like the comedic role who has no feelings or like no depth or heart or truth to them, I think for me, that is like one of the most prominent feelings that I want to bring to a character. So I think that is definitely something that it is like, oh, I don't want to be just this because, mm-hmm. you know, actually I do have feelings and I do, you know, I can bring mm-hmm. truth and heart to something. And I'm going to ask you to name three actors, not that people have told you you look like or that mm-hmm. are your type, but just three actors that when you watch their work, 
you're like, that's what I want to be doing. Oh my gosh. Also a great, great question because I'm like, I feel like none are coming. I need to give this some thought because I've always been the kind of person that will connect to like plays and stories, but not necessarily people. Like I don't follow Mm. a lot of, I'm not like a lot of like, oh, she's my favorite actor. But if I'm watching something in the moment, I'll be like, whoa, an amazing actor. Like for example, Michelle Williams actually. Yeah. I will follow her everywhere. Yeah. She, what did she, I saw her on Broadway in cabaret and like her performance was so raw and like so Mm -hmm. truthful that when I saw that, I was like, oh yeah, that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so if I think of other examples too, I'll let you know, but yeah, yeah, it's more about like in the moment. mm -hmm. And then we usually, then I just usually end it with like, how long do you need it to be? Is it for a specific audition? Are you interested in open to uh, accents? And I always, I always like to ask too of like, what, like, what do you want me to stay away from? Like Mm -hmm. some people just don't want, there's certain issues they don't want to do. Some people just like, Hey, no matter what the issue is, I just don't want to cry in auditions. Mm. Like that's just, yeah. So yeah, that's it. That's awesome. And I think that's so helpful too, for people, like if they're looking for grad school, you know, if they're going to audition for grad school or um, undergrad, whatever stage you're Mm -hmm. at, or if you're going to do a, like a zoom reading audition, or if Mm -hmm. you're preparing your book to get ready for when we come back, I think, Again, mm-hmm. having pieces that speak to you and that like you emotionally connect with is the most important thing you can mm-hmm. have as an actor, I think. And, and I think that's also the hardest part of like finding really good audition material. So I'm so glad that you're doing this. Yeah, and I mean, everybody I've worked with so far has had a good experience with it, so I'm happy. Wow, oh my gosh. Yeah. So where can people find you if they're interested in your services or your dramaturgy work? Yes, so just go to at Shaunaturgy. That's S-H-A-U-N-A-T-U-R-G-Y. That's my, on Instagram. That's where you can find out a lot of it. But you can also just go to seanlesher.com and uh, I'll have some stuff up there. I'm actually working right now on putting a a separate page for my monologue finding business up there. So, yeah. I love that, Sean Turgy. That's so good. And I didn't ask you this yet, which I need to ask you, but I love sharing creative resources with people. So I know you've kind of already mentioned some stuff, but what are your favorite plays right now? What who, what artists should we be looking out for? Mm. Give us some of that good stuff. I mean, I feel like if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see like all of my favorite plays out there. So I, I think I'm going to talk about, I love the show Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai on Netflix. It's a, it's a series that is like a sequel spinoff to the Karate Kid movies, which as a kid, like those were a huge deal to me. And I just think it's some of the smartest writing and best acting. And it's like that perfect blend of, fan service to the originals while also like creating this thing that's just so beautifully its own so i'm gonna shout out cobra kai oh i'm actually reading too i'm reading this book called moment work and it's kind of all about the tectonic theater group the theater companies they're devising theater methods so tectonic they, they created laramie project 33 variations i am my own wife and it's yeah it's such a i'm very i'm very much a nerd about like theater process even though like i'm not really i don't consider myself a director that much anymore i'm still going to like read everything about directing and mm. making work yeah. i love that well thank you so much sean thank yeah. you for sharing your wisdom thank you for the awesome questions you asked oh one more thing i i've been like f- trying to fall back in love with um musical theater again and i will fight you on this but i think spongebob squarepants the musical has the perfect opening number 
Okay. Wow. I love that. Drop it. Dropping a truth bomb right there. Yeah. <laughs> if people want to argue, you can find him on Instagram. Yes. But thank you so much, Sean. This is so much fun. I hope you enjoyed that episode and thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please feel free to share it with a friend and tell them what inspired you. Or if you'd be so kind, you can rate and review the podcast. And when you do, I would love to gift you my free guided writing meditation that will connect you to your creativity, yourself, and your spirituality. Just go on over to my Instagram at Leia Van Doren. That's L-E-Y-A-V-A-N-D-O-R-E-N and send me a screenshot of your review and I will send over the meditation and I would love to hear your thoughts. Stay inspired, stay creative, and keep shining your creative soul.